Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to share a little teaser for an upcoming project. I am really excited to be launching a new community project soon, which is going to be a creative incubator called Kiln, K-I-L-N, Kiln, where half-baked ideas become real. And it's going to be a really beautiful long-term community for creating accountability and motivation and inspiration around moving forward with our creative projects, our business projects, our creative practices, and I am excited to share more with you about that soon. So just a little heads up that is coming down the pike, and I'm hoping to share more in my next podcast episode and my next newsletter. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about creativity and consciousness and healing. As I'm recording this today, it's one of those slightly oppressive, gray, late January days where I feel like I really just want to put my head in the sand and not do any of my homework. There is a real gift and joy and privilege in being self-employed, but I will say that it also requires a lot of self-motivation. And some days one is just not entirely in the mood to self-motivate, and I'm having one of those days. And part of what's coming up for me is really thinking about this tension between urgency and ripeness. I wrote about ripening as a metaphor a few months ago in my newsletter, and lest I try to reinvent the wheel or the language to describe that metaphor in this case, I'm going to read you a few paragraphs from that piece. So I wrote, I speak to a spiritual teacher from time to time who uses very evocative metaphors. And after I went through a breakup with my partner this past spring, I was saying to this teacher how I wanted to understand the purpose of our relationship, what it was for, so to speak. They responded by telling me that the insight was not yet ripe and that what it was, it would fall into my hands like a beautiful peach ready to be eaten. But for now, the peach was not ready. And lately I've been returning to this metaphor of ripening as I try to cultivate patience, particularly with regard to thinking about finding new romance. An impatient or perhaps just lonely part of me misses having a partner in crime and wants to rush ahead to find someone to fill that void. And as this wise teacher said to me, why would you want to bite into a piece of unripe fruit? When the timing is right, the flesh will be soft plump, ready, and when I bite into it, sweet, juicy nectar will flow out. But right now, the flesh would be hard and unforgiving. To bite into it would yield only a dry, bitter taste. Why must we be in such a rush? Why can't we allow situations, relationships, intimacy, the time and space they need to ripen? Why do we expend so much energy trying to force things? 
And that's the end of the excerpt. You know, I'm wondering now if I'm reading an excerpt written by myself, read by myself, on a podcast narrated by myself, do I really need to tell you when the end of the quote is? <laughs> Probably not. Anyway, long story short, I've been sitting with this metaphor of ripeness, which was previously a metaphor I had used fairly frequently myself with regard to thinking about the creative process and specifically the ripening of ideas and how you can't force creativity, how you can't force inspiration, how you can't just make the process of creation move forward before it's good and ready. You know, you can do everything to lay the groundwork and to prepare yourself and to set the scene and to be in a good kind of creative and artistic shape for when the idea comes in to have good creative muscle tone, shall we say. You can do all of those things, but you can't force inspiration or insight or clarity to come. It will come when the time is right. And what I'm finding so interesting in this moment is how the rhythms of ripening are in tension with the impulse towards urgency. We live in a society, in a culture, in a way of thinking that is entirely predicated on urgency. Every time we interact with an app or any other type of contemporary technology, Instagram, TikTok, Uber, Netflix, your email app, your calendar app, your messaging app, Every time we interact with those apps, we are steeping in a set of values that stem from a core impulse towards urgency, towards the values of speed and efficiency and progress and instant gratification. And in these settings, in these apps, there is always an emphasis, always an importance that is placed on urgency. Just think about the whole idea of notifications, which were so inured to at this point, right? Most apps that you encounter, even my weather app, for instance, has some kind of system for notifications. And underneath that emphasis on notifications is this idea of urgency, of the importance of an immediate response. And so you have this little red dot or this little red number that is urging you to respond to other people's demands as quickly as possible with no particular regard or consideration for what your schedule is or what your priorities might be. The design of those little red bubbles is the equivalent of an all caps shout that says, responding to this notification as quickly as possible should be your priority. It's asking me to pull my attention away from whatever else I've focused it on and pay attention to this incoming thing, this tweet, this DM, this email, this Slack message, etc. And one manifestation of this technological coercion that I'm finding so interesting lately is, so for those of you who have an iPhone, you'll know that iOS offers a do not disturb function that will mute push notifications from your messaging app. So you won't be notified or ostensibly interrupted by new text messages that you receive. And they recently added a feature where if someone has do not disturb turned on and you message them, it will tell you that they have notifications silenced. But then when you send them a message, it tells you again that they have notifications silenced. And then it gives you the option of notifying them anyway. And I always think, well, why do I have the power here? Why do I have the power to interrupt this person who's clearly made the choice not to be interrupted? Why am I the one who gets to decide if they're interrupted? Why isn't the person who turned on do not disturb in the first place the one who has the most power in this situation? 
And of course, Apple probably created this feature for emergencies, like when you really, really need to get in touch with someone. But how often does that actually happen? I'm, I'm quite sure a vanishingly small portion of text messages sent are a true emergency. But the one use case that they're planning for is an emergency. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here. This state of emergency or this state of urgency is the default modality of relating that these apps invite us into. These apps and tools emphasize the importance and urgency of someone who is asking you to do something or to pay attention to something. They emphasize that over all other things. They're getting this notification to you urgently so that you can respond to it as quickly as possible. And I would argue that this emphasis on the importance of urgency is present in literally almost every single technology or app that we interact with on a daily basis. And what that means is that every time we engage with that app, every time we strengthen our relationship to that app, we are in a sense unconsciously reinstantiating those values within ourselves. So every time we interact with that app and we get that message of urgency, we kind of retake on board this idea that, oh yeah, urgency, that's what's important. Oh yeah, speed, that's the most important thing. Or let's say, for instance, you're interacting with your Apple Watch and you open the sleep app and you're looking at all the stats that it shows you about your sleep over time, how many minutes of REM you had, what the overall duration of your sleep was, how much sleep you should be getting over time, and thus what your sleep debt is. Yeah, that's a real word, sleep debt, D-E-B-T, sleep debt, what your sleep debt is. All with the intention, sharing all of this data with the intention of helping you track and improve your sleep. And I should add that the first time I saw someone looking at the sleep data, it just blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, looking at this data would give me so much anxiety about how good or probably bad I was at sleeping. But anyway, my point is, baked into the experience of this sleep app is the idea of optimization. The idea that you can and you should optimize your sleep is the message that interacting with this app communicates to you. So as you use that app, as you relate to it and you use it to make sense of your world, in this case, the world of sleep, it reinstantiates the importance of thinking about your life through the lens of optimization within you. Whereas using Uber, for instance, reinforces the value of convenience and instant gratification by presenting you with you know, a taxi or a ride almost out of thin air. And using Netflix or Hulu reinforces those same values of convenience and instant gratification by giving you whatever you want to watch on demand and instantly, and so on and so on. So we're constantly getting these messages that are kind of re-implanting us with what I think of as the values of technology, the values of urgency, of speed, of optimization, of progress, of convenience, of instant gratification. And as we interface with these apps hundreds of times a day, we're being reminded again and again to center those values, to regard them as important and worthy of our focus. But here's the problem. Those values are deeply at odds with the natural rhythms of life and the natural rhythms of the creative process, where urgency, this relentless go, 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 go without cease, is not what is centered. 
right? There's, there's a dance and there's a pulse and a pause and a breathing in and a breathing out. A season to grow and a season to, to wither, to release, for the leaves to fall off the tree. All of creation, whether it is the literal creation of life by Mother Nature or the more conceptual creation of an idea or a piece of writing or a piece of art, there is a natural life cycle that all of our creations will go through. There will be periods of conception and gestation where something is coming in, but you don't quite yet understand what it is. There are periods of concerted effort and cultivation where this new life, this new creation begins to take shape and emerge into the world. There are periods of maturation and reflection where that creation begins to get refined and polished. And then there are periods of dissemination, of sharing and releasing as you send your creation out into the world. And there may also be periods of rest and silence in between creations where the field lies fallow to regenerate. And the length and shape and rhythm of these cycles is unique to each creator. But there is always this kind of seasonal rhythm and this gestational quality present when one is truly giving birth to something new. There are these natural rhythms to life, rhythms to creation. And the rhythms are not optimized and they are not optimizable. And they do not happen on demand, like ordering an Uber or watching something on Netflix does. And so that's the tension that I'm sitting in now. This tension between the rhythms of our culture or let's say the non-rhythm, this tyranny of urgency, the impulse to just go, 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 go and never stop, living in a state of emergency and extraction. I want to paraphrase the somatic teacher and healer Prentice Hemphill, who was on Hurry Slowly last season. They said, our culture has no rhythm. There's just this kind of profit imperative this desire to always have the graph of development be this straight line that goes relentlessly up and to the right, that kind of hockey stick-like growth. And there's no rhythm in that. A heartbeat has a rhythm. Life has a rhythm. There's a cycle to things. And they said that our lack of rhythm, that internal-external dance, is really a major challenge of our time. And it's exactly that tension between that internal rhythm, my rhythm as a living, breathing human, and the external rhythm, the rhythm of the dominant culture that I'm really feeling into now. I talked a little bit about it in my last podcast episode before this one, this, this wish from a work perspective, from a business perspective, to have things happen in a certain productive, quote unquote, rhythm. This idea of being able to put something out there on a certain timeline to keep my business operating in this very even, steady, comfortable way. But the things that I'm putting out there aren't widgets off an assembly line. They're creations. They are ideas that I've been sitting with and that have been gestating within me for a long time. I have the name for this new community project that I'll be launching very soon that I mentioned at the top of this episode, Kiln. And it's a name that I've been carrying around since 2021. And it's the seed of an idea that has finally found its home. It's finally in the soil and growing roots. But the germination of that idea started almost three years ago. And it was waiting and gestating slowly in the background for a long time. And then more recently, it kind of came into the foreground of my creative process. And even still, certain elements of it are still gestating. I don't quite have this full clarity yet. 
it's getting close, but it's still awaiting that full ripeness where I can see the fruits of my labor weighing heavy on the tree and I can just reach up and pluck that idea off and share it with the world because it's fully ripened and ready to be tasted. But that ripeness can't be forced. And so these rhythms that are very natural to life, these rhythms that are very natural to the creative process are really in conflict with the rhythms of technology and the rhythms of our workplace and the rhythms of capitalism, which just push us into this unrelenting rhythm, which as Prentice said, is really no rhythm at all. This unrelenting rhythm of extraction and progress without ever pausing for renewal or for resourcing. And so the question is, how do we live in that? How do we live in that kind of cognitive dissonance? Or not even cognitive dissonance, but heart dissonance, where there's all this pressure to focus on urgency and efficiency and instant gratification. But what life wants, what your heart wants, is time to spread out and to explore and to gestate and to ripen where there's so much of the process that is happening in the background, underground, under the skin, unconsciously, where so much of the generative process is not about visible production and sharing. And so there's that heart dissonance there, the feeling of the chasm between the rhythms that feel life-affirming to us as humans who yearn to create beautiful things, and the anti-rhythm of unceasing urgency that fuels the culture that we are steeping in every day. And because there is that dissonance between those two things, between our internal experience and our external experience, it means that we have to kind of constantly be shoring up our consciousness. This feeling of urgency keeps coming at us like waves crashing on the beach. And each wave erodes our ability to be in touch with the natural rhythms of creation a little bit more. And so to counteract that erosion, to continually shore up our consciousness around the values that truly matter to us, we have to regularly come back into the heart space. We have to regularly check in on and remind ourselves and reconnect with the energy of the values that we hold dear. If those values include being a creative person, if those values include being a conscious person, if those values include being present in your body, being present in the world, being present to your life, then you need to know and to acknowledge that those values are going to be constantly tested as you move through this world that we live in. As you interact with these apps, as you interact with these technologies that are telling you and telling you and telling you that urgency is the most important thing, that extraction is the most important thing, that optimization is the most important thing. And if you don't want those values to come into you and take over the way that you think and the way that you function, there is the need, I think, to cultivate a robust practice of revisiting and reconnecting with the values that actually do matter to you to cultivate a practice of revisiting and reconnecting with the rhythms that affirm life and that affirm your creative practice. I recorded this episode as a reminder to myself because I was getting sucked in by the riptide of urgency, by the riptide of the dominant culture. It was pulling me out to sea, and I was feeling unmoored. 
I was feeling disconnected from the deep knowing that animates my creative practice, from the deep knowing that animates any act of creation. And I had to take some time to talk to a friend and to let them remind me of my own knowing. And then to remind myself of all of the work, internal and external, visible and invisible, productive and unproductive that has unfolded over the past year for me. And I pause to acknowledge all that I've accomplished and all that I am for whatever reason not ready to move into yet. And I'm returning to an appreciation of and compassion for the mystery of gestation, the mystery of creativity, the mystery of life. It's so hard to trust the slow unfolding of mystery amidst a culture that rampages forward without thought or rhythm, where the only prize is an urgency that you will never get to the end of. But I am trying to trust. My friend Sebede has a tattoo that says, trust life. And I've been thinking about this idea of trusting life. Urgency is not life. Productivity is not life. What is life? What are the rhythms and the values that affirm life for you? How can you stay close to them, connected to them? How can you cradle them in your consciousness? These are the questions that I'm asking. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm so grateful for you, my invisible audience, because without you, I literally cannot write. I need to imagine someone listening to activate my voice. So I'm truly honored to have you here. If you would like to stay in touch, I would love to have you join my newsletter list where I write about creativity and consciousness. I send out a new missive every two to three weeks, and every letter includes an essay from yours truly, new offerings if I have any, and a highly curated list of links to great articles, podcasts, and other little bits and bobs. You can sign up at jkg.co slash newsletter. That's jkg.co slash newsletter. And thank you again for your attention and presence. And please remember to take your time and appreciate the mystery.